This show is brought to you by listeners and viewers like you. Our TeslaOwnersOnline.com community, EvanX.com Tesla Accessories, and our Patreon supporters at Patreon.com slash TeslaOwnersOnline. Do I need to do the Joe Rogan thing and count down from five? <laughs> you could. No, no, that's okay. Hey, everyone, welcome again to the Beep. podcast. Beep. Yes, Eric is doing the countdown for us. Welcome back to the podcast, guys. Uh, listen, uh, we're going to have some fun tonight because we're going to talk about Tesla's Q2 earnings call that happened last night. And I'll tell you, I have not seen this much excitement about Q2 because um, going into it, I'm obviously because of the COVID situation and the factory shutdown, uh, everybody's wondering, like, are they actually going to post a profit this time around? Um, not to mention that... Uh, if they did post a genuine profit, that uh, that would guarantee four consecutive quarters of uh, profits for Tesla, which would allow them to be included in the S&P 500. So, uh, lo and behold, they did post a profit, which is uh, quite interesting. I'm just going to read off the numbers. Obviously, this is not a channel that we talk about financials because it's not a ballywick. If you're really interested in that kind of thing, go look at uh, Galileo Russell's channel. They're hyperchange. He's, he's an expert in that stuff. Um, really good friend of ours. I tried getting him on the show, but he's too busy. But uh, he will come on the show eventually, and we'll talk about that stuff. So anyways, uh, yeah, so I'm just going to rattle off a little bit at some of the numbers in case you might have missed it. And then for the first time, we actually have Elon on the show. <laughs> clickbait, I'm sorry. Um, no, <laughs> Massive I actually, clickbait. <laughs> yes, sorry. I spent a lot of time. I actually recorded the, um, the, the uh, earnings call last night, and I took a lot of time editing out some really juicy clips. So um, we will play those back so you guys can uh, follow along, and we'll have a discussion about that. All right. So let's get into this. Cash on hand. Uh, Tesla says they had a $535 million increase in their cash and cash equivalents in Q2 to a total of $8.6 billion, with a B, of money on hand. Um, unless they want to raise more debt, they don't need to go to the cash markets. And I just read online today that Tesla has approximately $8.3 billion in debt. So if they really wanted to, not wise, they could pay off that debt and still have money left over. So anyways, operating uh, cash flow, less CapEx, which is free cash flow of uh, $418 million in Q2. Now, here's the big one, profitability. Uh, they've posted a $327 million gap operating income at 5.4 oper operating margin in Q2, which uh, translates, after all things is said and done, uh, $104 million of GAT net income. That's like real dollars in the, in the bank account at the end of the day. Uh, $451 non-GAP uh, non net income in Q2. So that guarantees them that they've now had four consecutive quarters of profitability. Now, there is some talk in there that there's some regulatory credits that they've had to sell uh, to other uh, car manufacturers who are not pulling their weight. So, you know, obviously the negative Nellies out on the Internet are using that as, uh, as their usual. Uh, but anyways, so profit is profit as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> um, here's the big one. And we kind of expected that uh, they were better announce something sooner rather than later um, as far as the Gigafactory is concerned, the next one for the U.S. And I kind of surmise this might be the opportunity for them to announce it. And that's exactly what they did. Lo and behold, Austin, Texas has won the contract for the next Tesla Gigafactory. Uh, Elon went on to say, and we'll play the audio clip here in a little bit, uh, but they've already started work. They've started clearing out some land and doing some preliminary work this past weekend. So, Congratulations to Austin and Travis County for winning the contract. Um, again, uh, 
congratulations also go out to the guys in uh, Tulsa who did a phenomenal job trying to attract Tesla's um, attention and uh, doesn't preclude them being able to get awarded something in the future. So um, anyways, that's where it's happening. Our money was kind of on Texas just based on historical things as far as Elon was concerned. But uh, yeah, that's where it's happening. So um, having said that, I think we should just jump in and let's play some audio clips been wanting to do this for so long but my software has just been finicky but i finally figured out all right so the first audio clip is about two minutes long and it's elon's opening comments as well as the comments about the gigafactory so let's listen in first of all i'd like to thank the tesla team for exceptional execution in the second quarter despite tremendous difficulties they've done an incredible job and it's an it's an honor to work with such a great team there were so many so many challenges too numerous to name and as a result we were able to achieve our fourth consecutive profitable quarter and although the automotive industry was down about 30 percent year over year in the first half of the year uh, we managed to grow deliveries in the first half of the year we're also very excited to announce that we're going to be building our next gigafactory in texas it's going to be a right near Austin. Go into a bit of detail on this, and then I'm sure there'll be a lot of questions. The location is five minutes from Austin International Airport and 15 minutes from downtown Austin. And it's about 2,000 acres, and we're going to make make it a factory that is going to be stunning. It's right on the Colorado River, so we're actually going to have uh, we're going to have a boardwalk uh, where there'll be a hiking, biking trail. It's going to basically be an ecological paradise. Birds in the trees, butterflies, fish in the stream, and it'll be open to the public as well. So not, not closed and, and only Tesla. So if anyone's interested in working at Giga Texas, engineering, production, whatever the case may be, please let us know. This is a, we're going to be doing a, a major, major factory there, uh, and it's also where we'll be doing Cybertruck there, the Tesla Semi, and we'll be doing Model 3 and Y for the eastern half of North America. Now, at the same time, I want to say we, we will continue to grow in California, So, but we expect California to do Model S and X for worldwide consumption and 3 and Y for the western half of North America. And then we think probably also the Tesla Roadster, a future program, would also make sense uh, in California. So I think this is a, a nice split between uh, Texas and California. And... Um, yeah, just emphasize we'll continue to grow in California. We'll be creating a, a massive uh, factory and uh, Cybertruck and semi-programs in Texas. I also want to just say, do a shout-out to, to Tulsa. Just say th thank you very much for the Tulsa team, the economic development team, and the governor. Really, I was super impressed and for sure strongly consider Tulsa for a future expansion of Tesla down the road. Well, that's the first clip. Um, obviously, there's lots of little nuggets in there to unpack. I mean, obviously, about the Gigafactory, um, 3 and Y production for the eastern part of the country is going to happen there. Obviously, the semi-truck as well. Lower volume vehicles such as the S and X, and looks like future programs such as Roadster is going to happen in Fremont. Where they're going to build that, I have no idea. There's no room in Fremont. I don't know, whatever. And for the West Coast, uh, 3 and X, or sorry, 3 and Ys will continue there. Oh, I, I forgot to mention, of course, Cybertruck is happening over there. So uh, this mm -hmm. is the first time also that, um, you know, Elon's actually spoken about the Roadster in quite some time. So it's good that it's um, it's kind of on the roadmap and, and we've got a little bit of clarification as to exactly, you know, what the plans were. I mean, there was a lot of conjecture. I mean, I've been saying this for quite some time that, I mean, Gigafactory 1 is still not even finished yet. Like, at what point? I mean, it was supposed to be done by the end of this year, like 2020, right? And 
doesn't seem to be anything really going on as far as expansions is, is concerned there. So I don't know. Um, the other thing, too, they didn't clarify is whether they were actually going to do cell production um, in the Texas factory. That still hasn't been 100% addressed. I mean, they, they have mentioned it in the past that future gigafactories would have cell production, but still a little vague on the details. What, what do you guys, I mean... I well, that kind of plays into what you just said. If they're not really going full blast ramping up the uh, you know Gigafactory One in Nevada, does that mean that it's because Texas is going to be self sufficient as far as the cell goes? You know that 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 would sort of explain it, wouldn't it? We'll see. Um, you know, battery day is coming. Uh, mm -hmm. Tesla's going a lot more vertical as far as their own cell production. Now, uh, when is that dropping? Is that supposed to be like? like immediately or is that being produced somewhere else i mean um later well, that's that's the other thing and i'm thinking about this if if um the cybertruck uses a different you know uh, pack architecture or cell architecture uh, that we, we suspect it does right we think there's some sort of a breakthrough that allowed them to get to that crazy price point with the battery capacity that it has so maybe it made more sense for them to start fresh with cell production for that vehicle on location versus, you know, trying to put in a new line with a different technology at Gigafactory 1, which is fairly far away. So you've got a lot of transportation costs. I, to me, it all plays out. It makes a hell of a lot more sense for them to be making the cells down in Texas. Mm -hmm. um, Elon did say, and I don't know if it's in my audio clips here, but they did say that, um, actually, Jerome Guillain mentioned that, um, uh, the semi-truck will be going into production next year. And then, of course, he reaffirmed again that Tesla would be their very first customers for that. And obviously between the route between Nevada and Fremont for cell transportation, uh, pack and, you know, the drivetrains and that type of thing. So anyways, it's still going to be a little while before people get them in their hands. But um, anyway, things are shaping up. Um, we had spoken some time ago on a, on a different show about whether the Gigafactory in Texas would actually end up with a paint shop. Remember, have we have we spoken about that? Because you know we knew that Cybertruck's going to go there, and Cybertruck doesn't need a paint shop. But now we have confirmation that uh, the semi is going to be made there, the three and the Y. Uh, so definitely, they're going to be building some kind of paint shop on there. So I'm hoping, at least on that front, that maybe some of those cars might have superior paint than the ones coming out of Fremont. But um, anyways, um, let's see here. Uh, so that's the talk about what's going on at the Gigafactory. Um, and as uh, Tesla breaks ground and does um, uh, more construction over there, as they are doing currently in Berlin, we'll have more information on that. Um, I'm kind of going out of order a little bit, but uh, Elon did talk a little about, about their solar business. So uh, let's listen on this clip. It's only about a minute long. Solar. Uh, we recently adjusted the pricing of our retrofit solar. So Tesla Solar is the lowest cost solar in the United States. Uh, and we added a lowest cost guarantee and a money back guarantee. So we're very confident that people will, will have our solar product, whether it's the solar retrofit or solar roof. Um, our solar is now 30% cheaper than the US average. After the federal, federal tax credit, uh, Tesla Solar now costs $1.49 per watt. And uh, it's, a, it's a very simple, highly automated single click experience. So. Definitely think about uh, Tesla, whether you want a new roof or Tesla solar roof, or you want solar on your existing roof. Either way, uh, we're the company to go to. And um, and then you can also get a power wall and have energy independence and, and be your own utility. I think that, that product is really coming together, um, and it's only going to get better later this year. 
So um, there's definitely some movement on the solar front. Uh, in the letter, Tesla does say that solar roof installations installations roughly tripled in Q2 compared to Q1. And they say they continue to expand their installation team to increase the deployment rate. Um, we still don't have a final count of how many roofs they've actually done on this, but uh, I think that's encouraging. Again, still no indication as to when they're going to open that up to other markets. I think the U.S. still has got a long way to anywhere reach saturation. I have a reservation. Not for the solar roof, but regular panels. But um, again, still no indication. And I would like to do that, but uh, time is ticking. I don't want to be doing it in five or six years when retirement's coming around and got no money to pay for that stuff. So, um, yeah, kind of interesting. Any any thoughts on the solar thing? I mean, is anybody looking? I mean, Florida's perfect for that kind of thing. Eric? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I tweeted this yesterday uh, following the call, and I was looking at all the different stuff on Twitter uh, resulting from the call. And, and the one thing I wanted to drive home yesterday, which I'll say again here today, which is Tesla is not a car company. Mm -hmm. I mean, all the talk on Bloomberg and all these different news organizations is that it's the cars. The focus is on the cars. And ideally, you know, that's where the moneymaker is, right? In terms of your gross revenue, your your greatest revenue will be likely in the automobile sector. But Tesla, in its 17-year history, has never defined itself as a car company. It's a sustainable energy company. And what they're good at is producing batteries uh, that can be recharged. That's their core and, technology. Yeah. Right. That's the core business. And they use technology to make that all happen. So when I think about their energy deployments that they've had, whether it's their megawatt systems or uh, solar arrays on someone's house or anything like that, to me, that's that's what Tesla really is all about. Um their ability to use their technology in batteries and computers and put that all together into an automobile just makes part of what their mission is even easier to accomplish. Uh, but ideally, people focus so much on, you know, what's the car going to happen? Where's the factory? But like solar production, energy production, batteries, I mean, all these different things, these major systems that are deploying across the world, that matters a lot more, I think, long term to their viability than anything else Tesla does. Um, so it's it's good to see that there was an increase. I know um, in looking at the numbers quarter over quarter, they had, f uh, I think, fewer installations, but a higher energy output based on what the, the installations were. So um, I, I think it behooved them to really make that a focal point as much as they can the rest of 2020. That way they're setting themselves up for success come next year when, fingers crossed, COVID things sort of subside and that more installers can go to people's homes and kind of ramp things up. Because uh, right now, that that to me is the part of their business that's been lagging behind for quite a bit. There's Absolutely. been such a focus on you know, the vehicle side of, of their company. But to me, the energy and solar storage part of their company needs to really be a focus in the next, uh, say, 12 to 18 months. Yeah, I think that side of the business has been very much undervalued and underappreciated. Mm -hmm. um, keep in mind, though, when they were ramping up Model 3, all of their resources was on Model 3. They literally pulled people from yeah. all kinds of departments yeah. and stuff. So obviously, it became the kind of the neglected stepchild there for a little while. But now that things are solidified, uh, Model Y is ramping well. Um, they can divert more resources to get that. So that's why we've seen uh, you know, a big increase in the solar situation. Um, I mean, we have a Gigafactory 2 just literally across the border over here in Buffalo. And um, so uh, my understanding is that they're still ramping um, quite well over there. So it's still got a ways to go, though, because, um, like I said, there's lots of other markets like that have solar products, uh, especially from Tesla. And uh, right now, I mean, I couldn't pay them enough of the money to get them to come up and deliver on anything. So 
Anyways. And that's been really an issue for a lot of customers is I've been waiting and waiting and waiting for something to happen and nothing's really going on. There are a lot of folks, especially here in the Southeast, that have at least had a chance to consult with, with experts from Tesla, have gotten contracts drafted, have signed the papers and just kind of sitting there waiting. And there's been no movement, no activity for a lot of homeowners. And again, there's certain extenuating circumstances that all of us have to understand are happening. But when you look at Q3 2018, Tesla's most profitable quarter ever, that was on the heels of what they did a few months before, where they basically put all their eggs in a basket for Model 3 production. And said, we got to get these, these cars delivered. We have to prove that we can do this for our first mass market vehicle. And they did it. And, Q, and Q3 2018 was their best quarter to date ever. And that started their trend where they've seen now where six of the last eight quarters um, have been profitable quarters for Tesla. And it started with that quarter uh, nearly two years ago. So it's it's really interesting what happens when you take all that energy, uh, when you take all that energy and you put it into a focus of need, and then what happens as a result of that. So it'd be great to see once, once you know, things with Gigafactory Texas and all this other stuff sort of kind of keep moving in motion that at some point, they really say, yeah, we really need to focus uh, our energies on solar. Yeah, it's definitely a, a very interesting area to to, uh, to pay attention to. And uh, mm -hmm. uh, really looking forward to seeing more activity on that front. I mean, the cars are exciting and stuff, but this other energy stuff is just like, it always seems to be off to the side, but it's it's got the most growth potential. Because yeah. there's nobody else in the market that's offering anything close to what they're doing. And And the reach, I think, is far beyond the homeowner. It's the way that it works in the energy sector as a whole, right? Like a lot of energy companies like having solar because there's a lot of initiatives and a lot of programs in various markets where essentially the electric companies, the utility companies can pay you to take the energy you're not using and then use that for credits and buybacks and that sort of thing. So it's it's a cyclical relationship that gets set up by having these installations. So it just makes more sense the faster you're able to get those installed, uh, the better off everyone is, especially the, uh, the environment. And I know our local power company has installed a Tesla power pack system and it's very quiet, it's off to the corner and stuff. And it's uh, mm -hmm. 16 megawatts at peak. So, and apparently it's working so well, they, uh, I heard through the grapevine, they're looking at potentially building a second one. Nice. So, yeah. All right, let's, uh, let's move on. Let's talk about autopilot because one of the things that Tesla did was they uh, were able to realize $48 million of, ex of extra revenue from deferred revenue from the FSD sales in this quarter. So Elon took to uh, uh, the earnings call and uh, talked about the FSD situation. This clip is from Elon and it's about a minute long. So let's listen in. And then for full self-driving, we launched traffic lights and stop signs uh, and we continue to improve that and make them more robust. And we're currently uh, testing full self-driving software for intersections and city streets and narrow streets. So um, I, I personally test the, the latest alpha build of full self-driving software when I drive my car, and it is really, I think, profoundly better than people realize. It's, it's like amazing. Almost getting to the point where I, I can go from my house to work with no interventions, despite going through construction and widely varying uh, situations. So this is why I'm very confident about full self-driving functionality being complete by the end of this year, because I'm literally driving it. I've never been more optimistic or excited about the future of Tesla and the history of the company. So something important to make note there. Um, just so you know, Elon lives in Bel Air, and they have headquarters in Palo Alto, which is basically on the um, 
Oh, wait. Uh, L.A. Sorry, I'm getting L.A. confused with San Francisco. I apologize to our California listeners. Sorry, my geography escaped my mind there that for a second. That place where the sun shines all the time. Sorry. When he says work, Elon spends most of his time in Hawthorne at the SpaceX facility. So uh, you'll have to go on Google Maps and just kind of draw it out to get an idea of how long it goes or how far uh, of a drive it is. But I, I think that's important to, to pay attention um, as to what kind of progress they're making. Now, keep in mind, these are internal builds. These are not available to the outside public at this point. So I think it's encouraging to see that they are making some progress. And he did say almost no intervention. So we got a long ways before we even get to level five, let alone level four. But it is encouraging. Um, they are going to be, I think the next big feature set that they're going to be releasing in FSD um, is going to be Intersection. So turning in intersections. Um, the latest update that is going out right now to most of the fleet is, um, is it dot .28? I think it's dot .28. And it releases the restriction on autopilot and auto steer with the traffic light control to five miles per hour over the speed limit. Whereas before it was, you know, it was locked down solid. You couldn't get past it. So they're starting to relax a little bit. And, you know, we, we had predicted that this was going to happen as they gain more confidence in data coming back. So that's what's currently rolling out. So anyways, uh, yeah, handling intersections and roundabouts, those are two big things I think that would really make a huge difference. I mean, there's edge cases for everything. So, you know, any thoughts on that? Uh, I, I was very excited about the way he described the transition to the next phase of how it processes the outside world. Like he described right now, it's looking at a rapid series of 2D images, right? So it's kind of like a, a, a stop animation sort of scenario. Now it's obviously very fast, but it's still seeing things in 2D and trying to juxtapose what's going on. Whereas it's really, he says it's getting close to 4D now because with the next level of it, it's going to be able to really interpret 3D objects in the three dimensions, plus add the time component. He says it's like going from still images to video and adding that continuous time sequence. So imagine what that's going to do in terms of its ability to interpret a situation and react. Like he, he says, this is like, he loves that order of magnitude thing, right? But mm -hmm. this is one of those situations where it certainly sounds like that's what it's going to be like. So I'm very excited about that. And yet I still have in the back of my mind, my, my rare moment of pessimism, how is it going to work in the snow when uh, the cameras yeah. are blocked? Please yes. tell us how that's going to work. But the rest of it, I'm yeah. super stoked about. Ian, I, you're so right. And I also tend to have this uh, dose of pessimism too uh, for a couple of things. One is what happens in, in situations where, for example, the signals are out, uh, whether they're blinking certain colors or if they're just as a power outage and an intersection does not work. Also, how do they manage uh, intersections where, for example, a stop sign may have a partial destruction from a tree branch or something like that, where we, the person driving, can see that, but maybe the car does not see the entire eight sides of a stop sign. So there's a number of different factors that we don't yet know how Tesla's going to fix that uh, in real-world situations. But also, I look at autopilot to me at the level two, level three, we're sort of bordering on now, I always look at it as a proof of concept application. Because even when they get to the point, let's say it's in the next 24 months, where they beta test the heck out of every possible scenario, and they've ruled out issues with snow in the winter, they've ruled out issues with, um, you know, signal issues and things like that. Well, at the, ideally, you're the only company producing it. 
So unless you have competitors who have their own software and their vehicles that have something that ends up becoming like that, it's still going to go through a lot of regulatory loopholes to try to get this thing passed. So, so I sort of have tempered optimism, I think, as most owners should do at this stage. It's great to hear the advancements. It's like in terms of in terms of coding, it's amazing what they're able to do with the technology, given the limitations the vehicle has. If it had more cameras, <laughs> I'm sure that'd be a lot easier to do some stuff because you get more data around the vehicle. But they're doing a lot with what they already have. Um, so, so it's these are all good questions. I don't think anybody should even think that they're remotely close. I mean, even Elon, when he was expressing that, you know, I'm, I'm like Trevor pointed out, it's pretty close to not being, you know, his hands on the wheel sort of reactions. Um, that still means until you can go from A to B with zero contact. I mean, if Elon says, "Hey, I sat in the back of my car and it went from A to B, no problem." You know, now we're talking some serious advancements, but there's still a lot of stuff to come. It really comes down to the lawmakers signing off on it. And it may just be, you know, state by state versus across the entire federal highway system. I, I, I want to add on one thing that you brought up early because it's, it is a really serious concern. Like what happens if the stop signs are obscured, you know, by could be by snow, you know, up here, everything's obscured by snow. It always brings back to the same point. But what about yeah. if the ramp, like you described or the other one, what if the traffic lights are out? And what gives me confidence there is how eerily good it is at predicting the location of these things. And then if it doesn't see what it expects, I think it's going to flag you. Like I know, um, you know, just driving around with FSD on country roads, I've had a few situations where there's like a 90 degree right-hand corner and the stop mm -hmm. signs over there it's obscured by a house or something and i still get the warning you know 200 meters before yeah. i get there around the corner there's going to be a stop sign i'm like the first time i did it i freaked it's like oh my god these things are all geolocated it's got it in its memory that it expects the stop sign so even if it can't see it if it had arrived there and there was something wrong i think the car would default to okay Safe. you know human yeah. intervention because yeah. i don't see what this is and eventually i guess there'll be an fsd solution for what to do in that scenario but at least the car has a backup of somehow to know what's supposed to be there so if it arrived at a traffic light like that i would be curious to see like uh, I mean, the yeah. next time there's a power outage i, I gotta go drive now just to see what it's gonna do yeah I th the, the you know, I'm, also, I'm also curious too like in areas where we're here in south florida if a hurricane comes through here and where a light or a sign once was but no longer is because it's been blown down or what have you Will the car still alert me? Will it sort of just look through the cameras and see that nothing is there? So there's a lot of there's a lot of scenarios I think really, really matter in terms of safety because for number one, and we stress this every single time we mention autopilot, it is ultimately the driver's responsibility to always maintain 100% paying attention to what's happening on the road because any object at any time can come out in front of you or something could change and you wanna make sure you're in full control of the car. So don't, don't trust the system 100% all the time. But to that end, as great as it is, we know there's a lot of room for opportunity to make it better. And it's good that the engineering team and the designers are working on that, taking all of the video and all the reports that we as drivers, you know, collect throughout the entire year. And they use all that data to make the system even better. So kudos to them. Which brings me to something we need to discuss. And I'm sorry, we're going to spend some time on FSD here because it is, <laughs> everybody likes to talk about it. Ian, you made a point about the traffic lights. Um, right now, as it stands, they're using a vision-based system. So it's one thing to have stop signs because those can be geotagged. I've, you know, I've, I've experienced it myself here. Um, you know, stop signs obscured by some bushes. The car certainly knew there was one there. It didn't see it. So obviously that's happening. 
streetlights, on the other hand, as way uh, as far as Tesla's using it right now, is is looking for the red and and the signals. So if the signals are not there, what does it do? Mm-hmm. So Elon has has even gone on record many times. It seems to be back. Well, I'm not going to say backpedaling, but he's clarified. He says they expect to have FSD in limited situations, which means not all situations. So how does that jive with the fact that they want to go to this robo-taxi fleet in the sense that they're driverless, they're driving around doing their own thing? So one of these robots comes in, and let's say the front end gets obscured with snow. I'm talking about a current Model 3 that doesn't have a radar heater, or the cameras are obscured, or the lights are out, and you got this robo-taxi sitting in the middle of an intersection, and everybody's getting really pissed off. What's going to happen? Is somebody going to give the car a push? Is there going to be like an emergency response team coming out to handle the? I mean, th- these are edge cases that need to be thought of. So I, I really, you know, every time Elon says, oh, FSD, this and that, and the other thing, you've got this other thing sitting in the back. You want to do this robo fleet, but you don't have a solution for that yet. I remember, I want to, when you're saying that, I want to go back to the episode we mentioned about the Nova special. Uh, that aired on PBS here in the U.S., where they talked about robo-taxis and sort of, you know, autonomous vehicles. And we we spent a good amount of time kind of delving into that episode. And one of the things, uh, if you're an avid listener of the show, if you recall the episode we talked about that, um, there were a lot of different companies that take those really odd cases where an example was there was a person, like a delivery driver, who's parked on the side of the street. He has an object on his shoulder so where the camera is facing that gentleman, you can't see a head, but clearly you see the rest of a person. The car maybe doesn't know to recognize that's a person, even though it can't see the full contours of a person's face and things like that. So it is, you know, these very simple examples of city driving mostly where they're seeing different things, weird objects, those outliers that we as a human being recognize with our five senses where a computer might not know what that is. And going frame by frame, seeing those anomalies and trying to train the computer to acknowledge what that is. If an umbrella is open or closed and there's someone on a face is obscured and things like that. So those are, those are, that's what I was thinking about when you were mentioning your, your point here, Trevor, because to me, FSD, I, I still don't have 100% confidence they're ever going to figure it out in the next, say, two to three years. I, I To me, it's just too advanced for all the different scenarios to say the we've got it all figured out. The edge cases are just so weird. Yeah, I mean, there's and there's a lot of things. Like, we, we alone as, you know, three podcast people can say, well, here's 10 different scenarios we can think of relative to where we live in our communities. I mean, you guys living in Canada would mostly focus on winter conditions for the most part because we know, and I grew up in the Northeast, I know what snow can do. It changes everything about how you drive, when you brake and decelerate and all that sort of stuff. Um, but here in the Southeast, even like on a, on a rainy day, if the rains are so significant that your cameras are obstructed, which I get alerts on my screen too when that happens, mm-hmm. how is, is all of a sudden just going to stop? If it's a robo-taxi, is the car just going to pull over and the person's in the car waiting? Like there's a lot yeah, of different point. scenarios we can't yet think of. Um, but I feel confident in one of two things. One is that we can submit this information to Tesla and say, hey, these are things that we've encountered. You know, the cameras might be able to report that. And so that data certainly helps them. But number two, I'm sure the engineers who are doing all these controlled environmental testing are seeing that and figuring out. The thing is, if you're mostly testing in sunny California, where it doesn't rain much throughout the year and you don't really have snow, you have to take the car to other places like they did with the Model 3 in winter conditions up in Canada to really test how the software works. So 
my hope is when they sort of feel like it's in dry controlled conditions, if it's ready for prime time, I'm sure the next phase will be, okay, now we need to do X number of months of testing in other climates to see how it handles there in the dry Sahara, in, you know, uh, humid climates in the tropics and winter conditions up in Canada, whatever it may be, uh, to really see how that handles. Yeah. Well, as always, we uh, we have uh, quiet optimism about FSD, but uh, with a heavy dose of skepticism thrown in as well, because all is not well everywhere. So anyways, we're keeping an eye on it. I like autopilot uh, the way it stands right now. But again, the robo-taxi thing, oh man, it's so much harder than people think. I mean, there's yeah. so many people think, oh, it's solved, it's solved. No, it's not, man. It's, it is so far in the future. So they're making progress, but there's the edge cases when you really sit down and think about it. Like the next time you're in your car, drive around and pay attention and think about how a robot or a computer would handle that that doesn't have the intelligence to understand that that's not a garbage can, that's an electrical box, and why are you tagging it as an electrical as, as a garbage can? Yeah. I get that here in my area anyways. Anyways, enough about FSD. Let's move on. Elon, during the call, um, later on, people are asking about the range situation on the cars because, uh, of course, they just canceled the plans of making a standard range Model Y. Elon feels that the range would be uh, less than optimal. Uh, so it appears that Tesla really seems to be um, looking at uh, making cars that have a minimum of 300-mile range. So let's listen to Elon talk about this. It's about 35 seconds. With regard to passenger vehicles, I think the new normal for range is going to be just in u.s epa terms you know approximately 300 miles i think people will really come to expect that as you know some number close to 300 miles as normal that's a standard expectation because you do need to take into account like you know is it very hot outside or very cold or are you driving up a tall mountain with, with a full load and it's uh, you know people don't want to get to the destination with like 10 miles of range they, they want some reasonable margin i think 300 is going to be really or close to 300 is going to be the new normal you know, cold 500 kilometers basically i'm good with that Fine Lab has a line of protective coatings that were engineered to protect your Tesla's paint, leather, carpet, plastic, and wheels, effectively blocking all those UV rays and environmental factors before they ever get to ruin your brand new baby. Fine Lab offers a complete line of car care products and ceramic coatings for both the do-it-yourselfer and professional detailers. Did we mention we also have the world's first self-healing coating? Check us out at finelab.com, that's spelled F-E-Y-N-L-A-B, to see the science behind the self-healing. Check out our product catalog and click contact us for a free quote from a certified installer in your area. Fine Lab and Tesla. We were meant for each other. Range is king. What's wrong with arriving at your destination with only 10 miles? That sounds generous. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, for the adventurous people out there, uh, maybe not so much, but uh, um, listen, the fact is if you're thinking about an electric vehicle, you got to take your climate into consideration. Um, cold weather affects the range of the car. You have to heat this car. The chemistry doesn't work as well when it's cold. The uh, car spends some um, energy heating up the battery pack, heating up the cabin and stuff. So uh, it makes sense that a car that has um, effectively 500 kilometers or 300 miles of range at 100%, um, to me, if I'm buying an electric car and I'm spending more than a gasoline car right now, they will get cheaper and they are getting cheaper. But if it's going to replace a regular normal vehicle and I'm spending that kind of money, it better damn well have some range. So that's my personal opinion about that. Not to preclude that of people that don't necessarily need all that range because we know that the average person doesn't drive all that much during the day and certainly less during the COVID situation. 
Um, the range really becomes a, 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 an issue during long-distance drives, which is largely solved by superchargers, and second of all, uh, your temperature situation. So I think it's good that Tesla's focusing on that, and despite the fact that right now a 300-mile car, a 300-mile range uh, car or a truck or whatever you want to call it, uh, will, would cost significantly more than some of the other EVs that are on the market available. Uh, Tesla is not sitting still. We have battery day coming. They're going to be driving the cost of these cars and the batteries down in terms of cost. Um, so I would say that eventually you'll be able to buy a, a $25,000 compact Tesla um, that will have 300 miles of range minimum. So they're making improvements as they go, but right now, I mean, Elon did say, and I don't have the clip here, but he says the biggest thing that bugs him right now about Tesla is the fact that they can't sell them as cheaply as they would want to. That's the biggest thing. So he was, he, he, he was dropping a lot of hints during this thing, and it's all directed towards battery day. Um, there are some significant cost breakthroughs, technology breakthroughs that are going to happen on that. And uh, I think when that shoe drops, the whole industry is just going to go, oh, what what also I think is hurting the cost factor is where's the competition? Time like time and again, part of where like t Tesla offers a lot of people a promise of a better tomorrow in terms of energy storage, in terms of solar capacity, in terms of the vehicles, the whole entire market. And when a lot of the um, the naysayers look at the company, they think about well. Listen, it, they're bound to eventually collapse. They're they're just, they're just not going to survive long term. And I'm like, they've been around for 17 years. I'm I'm not sure how much longer you plan on waiting. Uh, pretty soon they're going to graduate high school. They're going to go to college, and they're going to you know Tesla's going to get a Tesla TVA. going out of business for 17 uh, years. <laughs> right. So so that all being aside, is we constantly keep hearing now auto manufacturers coming up with concept cars, um, you know, prototypes and everything else. But where's the major push? Now, part of it is consumer driven. Um, I'm sure, you know, the 2020 pandemic is going to really hurt some companies in terms of their progress on that front, understandably so. But Tesla's really the only one out there producing this number of electric vehicles in a market that's in such high demand for them. Uh, we know the European market, some countries there are, you know, have legislation that makes it easier to get an electric car, you know, with major discounts and, and you know, government refunds and that sort of thing. Uh, for a while in the US, we had that. But of course, now that's pretty much that well is dried up here for, for Tesla. So there's a lot of different things that are able to still set in motion. I know states like Colorado, California, others can certainly still give incentives for buying a car. But if, if there's no competition, it's hard to drive down the price of something because your options are limited. And if you're the ones really producing it, you're making your own infrastructure for charging. You're producing your, you're only producing the batteries for them. There's so much exclusivity that Tesla has where like it's hard for them to be competitive in any other market to be able to then say, okay, well, they're producing this car. We're going to go a little bit lower to hopefully improve our sales. They're, they're, they're competing against themselves, which you can't really do in a market like this. Well, as evidenced by their constant price reductions on their cars and, of course, the ops, you know, battery day coming, Tesla is trying very hard to drive down the cost of their cars, despite the fact that there is competition out there, but it's nowhere near uh, to the level of Tesla is. And you have to understand, the, the, automotive, the automotive market in general 
is is not prepared for this. They got to keep the lights on. They got to pay the bills and stuff. And they can't just turn around a great big Titanic and just say, you know what, that's it. We're just going to make electric cars from now on. They don't have the expertise. They don't have the battery supplies. I mean, everybody else is relying on LG and Samsung, and they can't even make enough batteries, let alone. I mean, Tesla already has enough trouble making enough cars as it stands right now. And then you've got all these other car companies that are going to go to LG and, Panos- or, uh, and, and Samsung and say, give us all the batteries you can, because it, it's just not going to happen. So I think it's going to be a real, real uphill battle. When, when, these, when these media outlets and the naysayers on the Internet say, oh, Tesla killer is coming, I'm like, give me a break. There is no competition at this point. And I'm, and I'm not saying that there's not a, a other good EVs out there. There are lots of very good EVs out there. The mm-hmm. problem is, is that they tend to be lower range, um, despite the cost might being about the same, especially on an SR Plus. But you got lower range. Um, they don't have the performance. They don't have the connectivity. They don't have the features. They're very much stuck in the old way of doing the cars. Plus, and this is the big one, you got the dealership franchise market that is actively working against that. I'm saying, in general, there are some markets i mean ian knows uh, very closely that there are some in, in quebec that are very much ev um so i'm not saying that everybody's like that but the vast majority of them it is a huge uphill battle to get them to switch and take a look so i i and i've said this before and it might be a little bit far-fetched right now but i think there could be a time when tesla gets so big and they gather so much market share in the ev space that when customers are ready to make that leap, because let's face it, most people are not buying an EV as their first car right now. Most people that are buying these kind of cars have some money. Um, they've owned gas cars their whole life. Now they're switching. Although that is going to change as the uh, younger kids uh, mature and act, come into the markets and buy cars. But anyways, my point is, when those people come to buy an electric vehicle, they're going to look at the competition and they're going to say, well, they pay so much to Tesla that they're just going to end up buying a Tesla to the point where it, the sales might be so dismal compared to the investment required to build those cars. Because you don't build a car for $100 million. It takes about $2 billion on average to build a new car model from the ground up. Um, and that's not including the battery situation. I mean, the only company that's really paying attention to the battery thing really is Volkswagen. They're putting lots of money into that. But we still haven't seen the fruits of those labors yet. The ID3 has been delayed uh, they're throwing out concepts all the time, but I, I still feel confident they're going to get get there. But getting back to my point, and I'm sorry I mean to to, uh, to move around a little bit, but the point is is that when the customers come to actually buy a car, they're going to look at the competition, and they're going to look at Tesla. Tesla's so far out ahead that they're going to say, well, I'm just going to buy the Tesla anyway. So Tesla could end up, just by de facto, end up getting so much market share in the EV space, but then spilling into the regular ICE space, especially when the cost of those batteries and drivetrains get down to the point where, let's call it $100 per kilowatt hour. Um, At that point, you'd be stupid to buy a gasoline car. So what I'm saying is that these other car companies would could potentially abandon all plants to go electric and basically leaving the whole market to Tesla. So there are three fixes to that entire problem, and 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 I I love having this conversation. So number one, and and when I say these, these are focused really for the United States because we know other countries are different with with their uh, their politics and whatnot. But one is stop subsidizing fossil fuels. 
If oh, you that's take the happen. money that's being, if you take subsidi subsidies out of the market and you direct those and divert those into uh, renewable energy resources, solar, wind, hydropower, things like that, all of a sudden you're shifting the market because now companies are being rewarded for focusing on solar and batteries and you know wind production and things like that. So that's the first thing. The second thing is auto manufacturers have to know a demand is there. Well, right now it's cheaper to get an ICE car than an EV or a BEV or, or a PHEV. And we understand that. But part of that is, again, because the subsidies go to oil and not to electric. So if you essentially divert the funds away from oil into renewable energy, and then all of a sudden now these manufacturers go, oh, wait a second, there's a cost benefit to my producing electric cars. So maybe we should still do that so we can actually take the money that we're losing by producing ice and get that revenue back by producing electric vehicles. And the third thing is, and damn it, I, we can't say this loud enough, car companies need to work with Tesla. They've said it time and again. A lot of their patents are out for use. Elon's even said it on the record a number of times. If someone wants to use our chargers, they can use our chargers. But Nissan, I think it was just this past week, said they're doing away with Chatmo. Like we're we're done with it. We're we're moving away from it. It's, and I know which, uh, Trev tweeted out something like death to Chatmo. <laughs> but it's but it's good it's good to see that there's at least a movement to some of these manufacturers to say we do need to change the way we're doing something. So change is difficult. I get it. And and Tesla is going to continue being far and away because of how long they've been doing this. But the fact of the matter is, if a legacy automaker wanted to really, really earnestly make the change, it's almost like if, if, if a restaurant decided to start, start serving vegetarian meals or vegan meals or gluten-free meals, there's a sector of the market that maybe they weren't tapping into before because they never had those consumers. And they may say, well, it's hard to change our menu. But you might add 10 menu items, and all of a sudden, now you're getting a massive number of people coming to your restaurant because you're producing really good food and you're producing food that they want. So you don't know the demand is there because you're not producing quality materials. You're not producing class, you know, those EVs that people want. So yeah, Tesla is going to be ahead for a long time, but it wouldn't take much for Volkswagen, Nissan, and many other manufacturers to take the leap forward to just say, all right, we're going to produce a car. And maybe their initial vehicle does 250 miles. Well, that's great. That's something. It's better than an 88-mile electric car. But I mean, people will buy an electric bicycle that maybe gets 24 miles of range and they'll spend six grand. So like the rationale of like, well, it's gotta go far. For some people, maybe it doesn't have to. There are some people that are good city dwellers. They don't leave the city very often. For them, a car like that would suffice. But ideally the technology is now at our disposal to easily build a car that goes at least 200 miles on a single charge. But the charging infrastructure has to be there. And to me, the federal government could be the leader in getting that done. Because if you tell if you tell country after country, we're gonna essentially build an infrastructure that you can charge any car, anytime, anywhere, and it's a high-speed charger, then it doesn't matter what your car does in terms of range, because you're gonna go from A to B, no problem, because you already know you're gonna be able to charge as long as you have that route uh, to charge on it. Well, obviously there's a lot of factors involved here um, in order to get things to switch. I, I just feel that the car dealers are in a catch-22 situation. They won't make anything unless there's demand, but if there's no demand, they're not going to make anything, right? And Start you can, somewhere. Right? You got you to gotta incentivize them somehow, and that's diverting funds. You're absolutely right. But the problem is is that, uh, you know, nobody's willing to uh, let go of that whole oil economy. It's, it, it literally props up the whole thing. 
But oil is limited. This is the one thing that I've I never understood that. with these these people who make this argument is that we're, we have a limited supply. Only so many dinosaurs died in the ground. <laughs> we only have a limited supply of oil, and the way and as far as far as we keep producing more stuff that needs more oil. I mean, you're seeing in the market a ton of electric or corded um, things like lawnmowers and lawn equipment and all sorts oh, yeah. of stuff because. At some point, there's a there's a reason to get away from gas. Number one, it's just healthier and less noise producing, but it's also better for the environment. So if we're able to produce all these different things that we think about, oh, I have to have gas and oil. If we can do that for lawn equipment, we can certainly do it for more cars. But ideally, even if these automakers say, well, we don't have the technology or the wherewithal to really build EVs, not, hey guys, at some point you have to wake up, you're not gonna have enough oil in 30 to 40 years, you might be in dire straits if you don't already have EVs because you may not have cars you can sell that can go anywhere if you have no oil to run them. Ian, you just That's a reality. Touched, touched on the key point, Eric, and it's the 30 to 40 year part. Where we are in the life cycle, and if we look at the average age of the executives who control these industries and influence government policies through lobby groups and all of us, they'll be long dead when this stuff finally wears yeah, out, but they can cash in problem. now. So. That's what drives policy right now is, is the people who are stand to profit from it most in the short term are going to be dead by the time it's finally yeah, and, and that short-sightedness is, is, yeah, and that short-sightedness is terrible. Like to me, if oh, you start so planning it, I mean, let, let's say just we're going to throw a manufacturer. Let's say it is Volkswagen because they're, you know, they've been really trying to lead that effort now uh, very publicly with the batteries. If they, if it takes them an entire decade to get to the point of producing cars at the rate that Tesla is doing today, of you know say 200,000 easily in a year and that takes them 10 years well now your window of time went from 30 to 40 to 20 to 30 and so even if you start selling the cars at that rate there's still a transition period to getting people away from all the ice so to me it's the stupidest decision if you're a legacy automaker to go eh, we got time hey people wake up to reality we're <laughs> running out of time we literally had this 12-year window only a couple of years ago from a report by the UN. And that now is two years later. We're about 10 years away from having to really curb our emissions before the planet is basically in a point where there's no return. We can't, we're not gonna lower the PPCs for or PPMs for carbon emissions. Like we're we're just we're escalating at high numbers. So to me, I understand your point. Like you're right. They're gonna go, well, I'm banking it today. I'll, that's that's my problem for later. But that's how so many people of my generation are so screwed because yeah. people who led their, you know, their agencies and their board of directors and everything else before me were always saying, Hey, we've got time. We're good. That's their problem. Well, guess what, people? That's not just my problem, that's your problem too, because right now it's everyone's problem. Well, the only way out of it is at the end of the day, it's it's where the buck stops, right? So you got to go right down to the consumer level and you got to convince them before they walk into the dealership. Hey, you know, if you're walking to a dealership that has ICE cars and EVs, you need to go buy an EV because that's what's going to send the message ultimately to the guys, you know, running yeah. the oil industry that like, hmm, you best get out of this and start building some wind farms or solar panels. Butts and seats. Got to get those butts exactly. and seats. Yep. That's what changes it, you know, because the argument from everywhere up, from the dealership to the car company to the policy people is all that, well, you know, until people come in and really insist on these things, we can make tons of money selling ice cars. So it, it, it's the consumers with the dollars in the hand drive it. So to me, it, it comes down to, you know, we all got to do our parts and, and convince one by one more people to do it. And what will happen then if Tesla is the only one that's offering really the, the wide range of performance and exceeding the consumer expectations, they're going to get the lion's share of it. Yeah, absolutely. And that ultimately will force the other guys into it. It's it's already happening. It's just not happening fast enough. Exactly. It's, it's like you're an ice cream shop and all you sell is chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry. 
And then someone opens a shop across the street and they basically let you pick your own flavors. Like you can make your own ice cream. That's the thing. You don't realize that demand is there until people go, wait, I now have a choice. Well, heck, if I have a choice, then I want this, this, this. Like that's the whole thing. You go to a dealer now, you're given one kind of car to choose from. One. You know, what we're talking about with Tesla is ice cream that gets its own over the air flavor updates. I want swirl. Elon, I want swirl ice cream next week. All right. Speaking of which, let's talk about batteries here. Uh, Elon gave us a update on the uh, battery cell situation. This clip is 39 seconds. The real limitation on Tesla growth is is cell production at at an affordable price. That's the real limit. We're going to talk a lot more about this on battery day because this is the fundamental scaling constraint. And any part of that, that supply chain, or processing of, of, at the cell level will be the limiting factor. So whatever it may be, um, anywhere from mining to refining, and there's many steps on refining to you know, cathode and anode formation, cell formation, whatever the choke point is, that will set the growth, the growth rate. We expect to expand our business with Panasonic, with CATL, with LG, possibly with others. And there's a lot more to say on that front on battery day. Battery day, keeps dropping those hints. It's gonna be big. Um, Elon did go on. I didn't put it in here, but uh, he went on a little mini rant about needing nickel. They need nickel mines. They need. <laughs> if you're in a nickel, get a hold of us. Notice he didn't say anything about lithium, right? Because everybody's oh, lithium mine. Oh, there's not enough lithium. No, no, no. That's not the problem. It's nickel. These are nickel batteries primarily. That's where they need the stuff. So, anyways, battery constraints still a bit of a problem. But again, Tesla's going to fix that with their own vertically integrated uh, battery manufacturing, cell production, all that old stuff. So. Come September 15th, the world's going to change, I think. Any thoughts on that? Crickets. I'm good. Crickets. <laughs> I've been waiting for battery day for so long, you know, it's like... Well, this... you know, I kind of hope that it's, um, I mean, I have very high expectations for it, although I'm trying to temper them a little bit. I, I'm yeah. hoping that they do much like what they did uh, at Autonomy Day and they have more of the the people that were really involved with this come up on stage. Yeah. Like, like I would love to see Professor Jeff Don come up on stage and say, look, we got the Holy Grail. It's an electrolyte that doesn't allow the battery to degrade anymore. Like, they got a white paper for crying out loud, and that's practically what they said. So it'd yeah. be fun to see those type of people come up and, and do a little dog and pony show. And for the people attending the shareholders meeting, which is also on the same day, um, they will have a private tour of the Cato Road facility where they're actually building the pilot line for the new cell production. So that's Project Roadrunner. So anyways, looking forward to seeing exactly what they uh, pull out of their rabbit hat. All right. I mean, two, mo- two months in 2020 seems like forever. I, w- wake me up when it happens. <laughs> it's true. It, um, all right. Uh, we're going to get an update on the alien dreadnought situation because uh, now we're getting into the call section of the um, of the earnings call. I, I only have two more clips here to play. Um, one of them is about the situation about the alien dreadnought, so what's going on with the factory situation. And the next one is talking about Tesla's insurance product. So let's uh, hear from Elon about the dreadnought. The uh, Yes, go ahead. Just, just before you go into that, just because, you know, we're all geeks and we remember the original dreadnought reference, mm. but just for maybe some new listeners who might not know what that is, you might want to because Elon didn't explain. Everybody, obviously, that was in on the call was like, oh, yeah, we know the dreadnought is, but maybe yeah. just give like a little 10-second definition yeah, so sure. people can catch up. Yeah. Um, many moons ago, Elon was talking about the Gigafactories being the next product, the machine that makes the machine, as he's very keen to say. 
And during the days of the uh, Model 3 ramp-up, they were saying that they were going to build this factory that was going to be mostly automated, very few humans in it. And when you actually saw it in person, the amount of robots and machinery in there would remind you of an alien dreadnought. He's, you know, he's referring to science fiction and stuff. So, like no empty spaces, just all stuff, full density, floor to ceiling. Exactly. You know, wall, and wall. matter of fact, if you ever get a chance to visit the Fremont factory um, and you look at the Model Three line, it is very, very dense. There's robots on the ceilings and the floors and the walls. It, it, it's very dense, and that was out of necessity because they didn't have that much space at the factory to build that uh, that production line for that. Um, that, that scale of cars that they wanted to do. So anyways, um, over time, they have simplified some of the production. Uh, they've refined things. Uh, it's not quite as automated as they were expecting. They had a whole warehousing thing with conveyor belts and stuff. They ripped all that stuff out. Um, anyways, it doesn't mean that they're ignoring it or not wanting to do it for future facilities, but they're less dumb than they used to be. Elon likes to go on Twitter and say, well, we're not as dumb as we used to be. So we're learning for things. So anyways, uh, Gigafactory Shanghai and, of course, um, the Berlin Factory and the next one, which will be in Texas, uh, will will feature many, many improvements as, as Tesla goes. I mean, Tesla's not one to do a cookie-cutter thing. Um, everything that they do is pretty much bespoke. Like the Model Y has many improvements over the Model 3, even though it shares, you know, 75% of the parts, as they say. Cybertruck can be even beyond that. So anyways, everything that they do gets better. So... That's the alien dreadnought. So when you hear this reference, this clip is almost two minutes long. Let's listen in. Well, we're putting a massive amount of effort into manufacturing, engineering, the machine that makes the machine. There's probably 1,000%, maybe 10,000% more engineering required for the factory than for the, the product itself. We're certainly making making progress. I mean, factory and powertrain factory, Kicker Factory in Nevada is... You know, I don't know, alien dreadnought version 0.5, something like that. You know, starting to approach version one. We're getting way better at making cars. You can see that in Giga Shanghai. And you'll see that even more with uh, with Berlin. And and we're really changing the design of the car in order to make it more manufacturable. The the fundamental architecture of, of Model Y will be different in Berlin. It may look the same, but it, the internals will be quite different and fundamentally more efficient uh, architecturally than, than what we've done to date. Right. Drew, would you like to add to that? Part of the Alien Dreadnought concept is not just automation, but minimizing the number of process steps and complexity involved in the manufacturing system, which involves really integrating design and manufacturing across from like when the raw materials enter the factory to the finished goods exit. Yeah. Um, and, and we're learning so much through doing that. Jerome, you want to... I think the, the focus for us is uh, um, in increasing the um, capex uh, efficiency. This is something that uh, uh, we've been working very hard for the past three years. And you can see that uh, we can build new factories for less amount of money and much faster. And um, we're also reducing this, and it still is a lot, uh, the amount of inefficiencies. We want every operation to add value yeah. to the vehicle. Value meaning moving the atoms closer to their final state. You know, so we do yeah. not want any robot that just moves things. There you go. So you just heard from Elon Musk, Drew, Drew Baglino, and uh, Jerome Gouillet. Um, on efficiencies that they want to do. So they're uh, talking about building factories faster and for less money due to um, improvements in efficiencies that they're doing, not only from the car manufacturing uh, aspect, but also the cars themselves. Model Y, the European one, and the one in Shanghai are going to have many improvements over the American one. 
So Model Y is getting lots of love. <laughs> Indeed. Um, we already know that uh, the one of the improvements that they're going to make, and um, I have a picture here of uh, some pictures that were shared uh, by Tesla in their shareholder letter. This machine, uh, by the way, if you guys are listening on the podcast, uh, go and look at our YouTube channels, and you can watch the video version of this podcast so you can see what we're talking about. But uh, anyway, so here's the first picture. This is one of the largest casting machines ever made. This is the one that's currently being built and assembled at the Giga uh, factory in Shanghai, China for the Model Y. So this is phase two. This is a huge machine. Um, it is responsible for making the large cast um, uh, part of the rear of the Model Y. The one that they have in Fremont is building it out of... Um, uh, two cast pieces that are welded together. This is going to be making it out of a single cast piece of aluminum. And uh, in the future, I would suspect they're going to do even more parts of the car in that. Uh, they also go and show another picture here. This is uh, some of the robots currently being set up. Um, this is some of the, uh, the tooling for the Model Y being set up. And then one more picture, uh, some more robots. Robots are not very exciting right now, especially when they're wrapped up. It's when they're in action that's kind of fun to watch. So obviously lots of movement that's happening uh, with Tesla and the Gigafactory in Shanghai. I don't have any pictures of Berlin right now, but um, um, you can go into some past episodes and stuff. We have some links to some really neat videos. There's no less than about five teams of people flying drones <laughs> at the Gigafactory in Berlin right now. So you can literally watch progress on a daily basis. So it's really coming along. Um, the last thing we're going to talk about tonight, uh, well, listen, is there any, any thoughts on, on what we just talked about before we move on? No, we're good. No. Okay. All right. Um, one of the callers had asked Tesla about the Tesla insurance situation. Now, if you live in California, Tesla offers a product called Tesla insurance where you can, um, um get probably a better deal than, uh, most other insurance companies. I say probably because everything varies based on the jurisdiction. Um, obviously a lot of people in the rest of the country and other countries have been asking about this because depending on where you live, insurance can be rather expensive. So um, they took about a two, I, I got about a two minute clip here where they talk about Tesla's insurance. So um, there's some interesting things that they're doing as far as Tesla's insurance. So let's listen in here to, uh, to Drew. Um, we are working super hard on insurance. Uh, I'll go into a little bit more detail here than I have on the past. But, uh, currently we have a product in California as I've described before, it's been quite well received, and um, I, I would largely describe it as a fairly standard insurance product with elements of it that are unique to our cars. So you can think of it as a, a version one of Tesla insurance. What we're working on now um, is we can call it version two, or we can call it the first version of our telematics product. Yeah. And so really, ultimately, where we want to get to with Tesla insurance is to be able to use the data that's captured in the car uh, in the driving profile of the person in the car to be able to assess correlations and probabilities of crash and, and be able then to assess a premium on a monthly basis for that customer. And uh, what makes this very exciting for us is that the amount of data that is available with the customer's permission to use is, is not available in any other product or any other vehicle in the world. So this gives us a unique advantage in terms of information. And you know, we have a decision point here where we could take the California product and replicate that into other states, or we could delay going into additional states and instead put more effort into the telematic side of this. And, and we chose the latter. And where we are now is um, nearly 
complete with the uh, risk and cost analysis associated with the first version of the telematics product. We hope to be filing that in a handful of states with regulators very shortly. And uh, assuming that regulatory approvals go uh, smoothly, we hope to have this uh, in a handful of states by the end of the year. It will continue to file for approval in additional states. With regulatory approval there, we'll continue to roll this out nationwide as quickly as we can. And then that product, as we continue to collect more data and reiterate on it, will be version 2, version 3, et cetera, as we continue to refine that. Well, there you go. Telematics. That's the key word takeaway from this one. Um, my takeaway from this, um, personalized insurance. Not like how old are you, where do you live, that type of thing, how long you've been driving. It's actually correlated to the way you drive. So I'm hoping that it ends up with uh, more realistic insurance rates for people uh, long term. So this is, I think, I mean... Insurance companies generally, uh, I mean, they have lots of metrics. They have lots of numbers that they look at. Um, that's pretty obvious. Um, I mean, I've lived in different jurisdictions and insurance rates changed, uh, you know, based on that type of thing. Um, but the way Tesla is trying to do this is actually, uh, is even more detailed than that. Um, there have been efforts by some insurance companies to put, you know, black box in a car. We'll give you better insurance rate if you don't go over the speed limit type of thing. That, that's nothing new that's been around for some time. But I think Tesla's really looking at this from a telematics aspect uh, to really offer more personalized uh, insurance um, to a wide range of customers and, of course, taking into account the safety of these cars. Now, I know for a fact that insurance rates where I live have actually gone up on Tesla's mainly because with the flood of Model 3s that have come in, um, there have been a lot more repairs to cars from accidents and stuff. Um, so obviously, you know, insurance companies are, <laughs> they want their money. They don't want to give out their money. They like to fight with you when it comes to insurance claims. So um, in, in my insurance rate in my case actually, well, almost went up about, well, they wanted to charge me, I think it was four or $500 more a year. And no, no change on my part. Like nothing's changed, just the insurance premium went up. And thank goodness for my uh, my my broker who called me up and says, "Look, we, you know, we're calling you to let you know that they want to jack up your prices, and we're here to look after you." And certainly, they found me a a better insurance and better underwriter that was able to keep the prices down. But, anyways, um, I'd be curious to see what Tesla uh, would be able to offer once they get outside of California. What are you guys' thoughts on the insurance situation? <sighs> the collective sigh of desperation. Yeah, the, 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 the about how I drive the better. We're going to beat the deal I can't because it's really reasonable. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm fine. But I mean, I don't know. I, I say that. I mean, I, I, I would love to know exactly how the telematics model works because, you know, it's easy to say, well, you know, you drive, you know, higher than the speed than the average person, but it's not an enormous, you know, I'm, I'm in the upper 90 percentile of whatever traffic flows that type of thing. And I like <laughs> to enjoy the car acceleration. Why the hell else would I buy a performance model three? Mm -hmm. I think the cruelest joke would be Tesla to come back to you. Oh, my God, you're accelerating and braking and cornering so fast. Yeah, idiots. That's why I bought this car. Why do you think I paid all the money for the performance model? 
So I, I, I kind of laugh when I think about all that. It's like, I'm, I'm expected to drive it like a micro, like, are you for real, <laughs> you know, to get the premium rate? So a lot of it would have to do with like, what do they define, you know, as safe driving? Is it like, do you signal your lane changes and you're courteous and you, you, you know, you drive smoothly and you're leaving a lot of distance. The car can gauge all that. I mean, just with the amount of sensors on it, it knows everything, you know, it would easily be able to tell if you're tailgating people, if you cut people off. So I'd be really fascinated to know if they could ever give us a little deep dive and like, what exactly are they using to gauge you as your driver? Because that would um, uh, that would mean in, increase my confidence in terms of. But if it's strictly it's like, well, you're X number of miles per hour with the speed limit over. It's like, no, that doesn't define. I've seen people who can drive very quickly, very safely, and I've seen people drive snail slow, and they're like a danger to humanity. So I, I, I would personally like to know a lot more about the process. I think it would be fascinating. Another aspect of Tesla disrupting another market, right? Using their technology yeah. advantage. All right, Eric, you want to say something? I hate insurance companies. So, <laughs> right. so here's, a few, here's a few things. Um, in my state here in Florida, uh, which is an effing nightmare for a number of reasons, um, it's a no-fault state. Uh, we have a lot of uninsured drivers down here. Um, we, yeah, you're supposed, to, you're supposed to have it in order to get a license and get a car, but yeah. All right. Um, what's the, Hey, Eric, so, do you know what the fine is if someone's caught without insurance? Like what do they find? I do don't know. know. I, I think it's the Cuban sandwich or something. I, I have no idea. Um, <laughs> it's an automatic $5,000 fine here. Yeah, it's crazy. Wow. Yeah, if, there's, if, there's one, if there's one thing I've really, really gotten accustomed to driving here in Florida is if I, if I lived in a different County, I live in, in Palm Beach County. If I lived in a different County, uh, a less populous County, my insurance rate for the exact same car is less. So even if I safe driver, if I if I don't do what Ian does, where I accelerate from zero to sixty in you know three point nine seconds, uh, I don't I don't turn corners like I'm trying to you know show off my stunt car in a in a Bond film or something. Even with that, it's the market I'm in that dictates my rate. Yeah. So insurance companies can certainly tell you, listen, if you're a safe driver. We, we know we will reward you with discounts and blah, blah, blah. Mm. And my thing is, and I'm going to bleep the expletive right now. I don't give a flying bleep what you're telling me, because if I am in the wrong market, my rates are sky freaking high. Um, I remember when I first got my car, I had a Honda Fit before. <laughs> my monthly rate for that car, I want to say it was, I don't know, maybe about $100, maybe. Um, I got my Model 3. It jumped to like 190 that's crazy right so you know and that was with the same um coverage policies that i had in my my, um, or the same terms of my policy well then i recently changed it kind of get down because my insurance company who i will not name i don't want to you know libel anybody but the rates kept kind of like trickling up and it wasn't because of how i was driving it wasn't because of anything i never got into an accident with my car it's just because the market i'm in and where my zip code is the rates went higher so to me, insurance companies can take a freaking hike because as far as I'm concerned, whether it's health insurance companies, whether it's auto insurance companies, whether it's homeowners insurance companies here in America, if there's one thing they love to do is screw you out of so much of your money for coverage that ideally in most cases, they can easily go, nope, we're not paying for that. Nope, that's your fault. We're not, we're not taking care of that. Nope, sorry. Um, and then if you are ever in an accident or something happens, even if it's like me, where you're in Florida, not your fault, your rates, my rates could go up just because I was in an accident, even though I was not cited for the accident, my rates would go up because, well, we had to fix your car. So now your rate's going to go up. And I'm like, 
What am I paying for if my rate's going to go up anyway? Yeah, well, insurance is legalized gambling. That's all it is. And unfortunately, uh, you know, like where I am, the government mandates you have to have insurance. So, you know what, know. guys? If you're going to mandate it, then get in the insurance business and regulate the damn thing. Uh, don't leave it in an open market where they can just jack up the rates. They call each other up. You know, what are your rates this week? All right, well, we'll jack them up too. You know what, though? I'm sorry. There should be regulatory approval to limit that, to put a cap yeah, on absolutely. how much of an increase you can have year over year, to cap on where – like it shouldn't be that if I move to a different county in Florida, my rate drops by $80 a month. Like what the hell is that? I'm in well, the same freaking state. Why is the, the amount different? Because I went from, say, Palm Beach County to, you know, say, Martin County. It's ridiculous. Oh, I know, I know. The problem with insurance companies is that it's it's about making money, right? It's for profit. And yeah. they don't want to pay out the claims, and they put these crazy claims on there. I mean, I have people that, that work for legal offices, and when somebody gets in an accident, they sue everybody with the hopes that the first guy to come to settle, uh, you know, that's that's the money that they're going to get. That's how they operate. Like some of the legal settlements for these accidents mm-hmm. is really crazy. So that that's a big well, problem. I mean, that's one of the get rich, that right? our insurance is actually pretty cheap. Is you can't sue anybody for anything. It just doesn't happen. You know, it's it's no fault insurance. Uh, we pay through the nostrils for our driver's license and for uh, the car registration, but the insurance here is relatively cheap. Well, and that's a big factor. In it. it it really that's the number one thing I think that can help is when you take the suing element out of it. It generally brings the the cost floor down considerably yeah but your insurance in includes i mean your car registration your yearly registration includes a portion for insurance does it not yeah the personal liability stuff so like bodily injury and all that sort of thing is covered under the uh, the car's license so that's that's why it's kind of segregated you know like i'm paying under 800 dollars a year for full replacement value on a performance model three uh, which blows people's minds, but yeah, but the the plate—I forget what my plate is every year, but it's somewhere between four and five hundred dollars uh, so for yeah, the plate, yeah. and and another two hundred and fifty dollars for my license, for my my driver's license. What? Yeah. Oh God, dude. Here it's like ching ching ching. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, nickel and dime, big time. Well, at least you don't have to pay road tax at this point, right? But that'll probably be coming something. True. Like you're not paying oh, any more money for road tax on gasoline sales, so we we'll start charging. There's a lot of states and, in the US will do that. And the EV benefits, I got to say, though, here for now are incredible. Like, yeah. I mean, we have a toll bridge just, you know, uh, three miles from my house here. And it's like three bucks each way going across. I get that for free. Mm-hmm. And I use that bridge a lot. So that's a major cash. And uh, all of the ferry, well, a certain number of the ferries that cross the St. Lawrence Seaway from, you know, the Quebec City region on up. I mean, they're like 40 or 50 bucks a ride. You get those for free with mm-hmm. the green plate here. Yeah. That's big. Okay. Say for the record on this podcast today, it's July twenty third in twenty twenty that we're recording this episode. I would gladly, in like we're done, if we're done, I would gladly, if I could, pack all my stuff and move to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> we I, take your winter, We have our own. Set. Are brutal. I don't have to walk outside. I don't have to go outside. We have our own set of like, issues, I'll, Eric. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, you'd love it here in July, but I'd, I'd like to see you around somewhere around late January. February. <laughs> February. Yeah, we'd have Why do you think we go to Florida in February? <laughs> well, you know, if, if the, good luck getting down here in February. But, um, oh, yeah. but I will tell you that um, having grown up in New England uh, for most of, my, most of my years, but I, that's true, yes. But as every Canadian knows, a New England winter is not a Canadian winter. No. They're, they're, they're totally different. No, you, you get you get a fair amount of snow, but you, you don't get the insane sure. brutal cold that we get where, like, you know, your limbs snap when you walk out the door. <laughs> <laughs> this summer has been pretty hot. I'll tell you, the last couple of weeks, like 95, 100 degrees every day. 
But you, but get the humidity that we get down here in Florida yes. and watch out. Especially where I am. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, we have. I mean, you know, I, I must have talked about it back in the day, but I, at the end of February, we hit uh, 97 or 98 degrees without the Humidex. And the Humidex was way over 100. That was at the end oh. of May. We were one degree away from setting the all-time record heat ever recorded for the city of Montreal since they've been keeping it on the books. And that was in May. How wild is that? I mean, it makes no sense to me. That's a, it's a horrifying statistic. Which is, again, a good reminder to, if you can, get solar installations on your house, yes. vinyl into your vehicle, <laughs> reduce your carbon footprint, people. <laughs> Please. Tint your windows. Stop, stop ordering an Amazon package every single day. Like, yeah. Leave a bottle of water in your car for your pets. Leave dog mode yeah. on. <laughs> Well, uh, well, that pretty much brings us to the end of the Q2. We like to do this when it happens. Yes, Eric, go ahead. We want to mention quickly about Austin and, and Texas and sort of the dichotomy there of having Tesla in the state of Texas when you still can't buy a Tesla in yeah, Texas. Yeah, you know what? It's funny. We didn't mention that. Uh, we can take a couple minutes here because we're getting a little long here on the show. But uh, yeah, uh, for those of you who don't know, Tesla is not allowed to sell their cars direct in Texas. And we had always surmised that uh, if Tesla was going to build a factory in Texas, that they would use that as a little carrot, say, hey, guys, time to change the legislature. But obviously that hasn't happened publicly that we know of, because uh, my understanding is legislature in Texas only meets every two years or something like that. It's been on the books, and they've tried for multiple times to get that changed. Dealer lobbies, obviously, pretty tight, um, you know, lobbying pretty hard to prevent that. However... There's probably a silver lining with this. Uh, you know, Tesla's going to be building lots of cyber trucks. Texas loves pickups. Um, enough people will be buying uh, cars in Texas, um, you know, the pickups and stuff, that uh, there might end up being a mandate from the masses saying, why are you making this complicated for me to buy a bloody pickup truck in this state from this company? You better change it. Or so, as Mark Benton calls it, a utility vehicle. A utility vehicle, yes. Yeah. yeah. So who knows? Maybe Tesla doesn't necessarily need to fight their own fight. Maybe the consumers might stand up and finally say, this is stupid. I can buy literally any product I want, computers or otherwise, online with no interference from dealers or whatever. And why can't I buy my car the way I want to buy? Why do I have to go you know, online and order it and then pick it up out of state or whatever? I forget how they work it in Texas, but yeah. Anyways, I'm surprised that it wasn't mentioned on the thing. Um, that yeah. I'm, I'm betting that must have been. It's probably still being hammered out in the backgrounds because you know you. Oh, have you all can sorts bet that things. it bothers Elon to no end. I mean, he was in tears at a shareholders meeting about five years ago, talking about the fact that anti-competitive yeah. makes him upset. He was almost crying. He hated that. Yeah, I, I get all that. The other thing I can I can theorize is I'm sure if it was a done deal, they would have announced it. But there's probably just because it's all so fresh, there's got to be a whole bunch. You know, there's a whole chain of things, right? So you have all the dealer lobby groups, and then you know you mm -hmm. have the state senate and all these people involved, and you know they're going to have to change the law and all that stuff. So I bet you there's there's a little more inertia there that's got to be overcome before they can get to that stage. But I have to think from the government level down, the governor level down, they must have said, don't worry, we're on this. We'll, we'll but what it. better oh, opportunity to put the pressure on the governance in Texas by saying it on the call yesterday? Like, yeah. you're going to be in Travis County in yeah. Austin, Texas, which is a very progressive blue-leaning area in Texas, which yeah. largely is a red state by all standards. And, yeah. you know, in the U.S., there's arguments about now Texas being purplish, right? <laughs> uh, but it's still, it's still controlled by a Republican leadership uh, mm -hmm. at many levels. 
So why would you then not, you know, dangle that carrot on a very public forum where all these news, you know, outlets are trying to capture the call and, you know, put news stories as fast and go, Elon's now applying, not only did they announce, hey, we're going to be building our next factory in your city, yeah. then sort of put the pressure on the state to go, okay, TikTok, let's go. We need to sell these cars. They need to have that cleared out before they break ground. They have to. You can't literally build the factory and still be sort of trying to figure it out if we can sell cars in the state. It's ridiculous. You're 100% right. I'm totally with you. And I mean, it would be such a, a typical Elon power move to say, let's go, Texas. Come on. If, if, we'll you're, gonna, if, you're, gonna, if you're gonna arrest anybody, come and arrest me. <laughs> I mean, you went to court to open your factory when, you know, yeah. the health inspector of the county you're in, in Fremont's like, yeah, it's it's not safe yet. We're, we're going to stay closed. And you're like, I'm going to take it to court. You're willing to go to court or that, mm-hmm. but you're not going to go to court yet. Like, I'm sure, again, I'm sure there's a lot of spindling behind the I'm scenes. I'm sure there's stuff. I, yeah. I got to think somehow discretion is the better part of value on this one. There's something going on behind uh, the scenes. Yeah. It's, well, it's got to be weird. Hopefully for uh, for their sake and everyone in Texas um, and eventually the other states like Michigan finally get their collective, yeah. you know what. Connecticut. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyways. Well, that brings us to the end of the show. Eric, where can people have a chat with you if they want online? Number one. Wear your damn mask, please. Please <laughs> just wear your mask or stay home. Either one. Just if you go out, wear a mask. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, it's a recently hacked internet site that people know about, but uh, my account was A-OK. Uh, no Bitcoins for my account, but you can find me on there. The handle is ECFIX. That's E-C-F-I-X. Thanks so much. Ian? On Twitter, the handle is at Ian Pavelko. You can find me um, on the Tesla Owners Online forum under the handle Mad Hungarian or Mad Space Hungarian. And uh, then if you're looking for some custom Tesla wear, you can uh, look up my Teespring store. Um, go to teespring, teespring.com and just search Mad Hungarian Evolve Wear and you will find the whole line of Evolve Wear shirts and socks and other cool things. Awesome. Looking forward to it. No short shorts though, right? No, I, I, maybe I got to do that. You know, I got to get with the program here. <laughs> All right. Well, you can follow me on Twitter. The handle is Tesla Owners Online. Check out the forum at teslaownersonline.com. Subscribe to our channel on YouTube. If you're listening to the podcast um, audio version, thank you very much. But uh, go check out the video version. You'll see what we look like, and we have a little bit of fun. Last thing I want to mention, uh, I am on vacation as of this Friday, so we will not be doing a show next week. Sorry, Eric. Um, but I will probably be vlogging and stuff. Um, I am going to be safe. We're doing a staycation this year, so we're not going very far. So um, no need to worry about that. All right, that's it for tonight. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening and viewing, and we'll see you next time. Arrivederci. Bonsoir, tout le monde.